Good morning, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Perry Sound. Why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 6, we're going to be starting this morning. But we're going to be uh, tracking a little bit through the book of Luke. So if you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible in your hand so you can follow along. If you just forgot your Bible, didn't bring a Bible, get your hand up, grab one of these. If you don't own a Bible, for sure grab one and, uh, and take it home as our gift to you. Grab a copy of God's Word, turn to Luke chapter 6. I'm going to pray for us before we jump in. Father, uh, Lord God, I thank you for all that you're doing in our church. God, you continue to, um, to lead us, to guide us. You're, you're the, the gospel message goes out. And God, as you grow our church here in Bracebridge, soon to be in Huntsville, in Perry Sound, in Mexico, Lord, I just thank you for all that you're doing. And Father, you continue to do more above and beyond everything we could imagine, God. And Father, we know you can because... Um, because you promised to build your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And so God, we trust you for what you're building. And Lord, I God, I pray this morning as we open up your word and we see what is it to be a Christ follower, God, that again, you open up your word to us, you lead us, you guide us, God, that our hearts would be changed this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We're continuing on in our series uh, just walking through this series that we've called, You Remind Me of Jesus. And the idea is that when we're Christ followers, we're living our lives for Christ, that we're going to live in a different way. We're going to live differently than the world would live. And so the people would look in on your life, on my life, and hopefully they would say, man, man, you're different. You're different than the world. In fact, you remind me of somebody. I mean, wait a minute. You remind me of Jesus. So last week we talked about, about welcoming like Jesus welcomes and opening our lives up to other people and hospitality. And this morning, I want to talk about how we spend. How, how generous are we? Would, would people look in on your life and say, man, the way you handle money, the way you handle your stuff, the way you handle these things in your life, and you remind me of Jesus. I mean, in fact, when you think about Spending, when you think about generosity and giving, on a scale of one to ten, are you less generous or more generous? If, if one was like not generous at all and ten was irrationally, radically generous, where would you, where would you put yourself on that scale of one to ten? As you're thinking of that number, here, here, just make sure you, you don't, don't put yourself as 10, all right, unless you've given your life for the sins of the world. Okay, that's, that's Jesus' category, all right? And you're, you're probably not one, all right? That's, that's for Satan. Okay, so, so just between one and 10, where would you kind of label yourself as generous? I mean, think about it. You can have a lot of money and you can give what would seem to those looking in as a large amount and be so giving in that sense, but maybe you have so much that it's not really radical generosity. Or you could have so little and so you think you're giving so little and yet you're giving all that you have so it's not about the size of the number. It's not about the amount of money you give, but it is about the size of the sacrifice. Where would you fit? How generous are you? Maybe think about it not so much in how much you give, but maybe think about how much you keep. How much do you spend on yourself? You, you might be a very generous person to yourself, right? Where would you rank yourself? One to 10, how generous are you? 
Isaiah 32.8 in the New Living Translation, it says it this way. It says, generous people plan to do what is generous. And they stand firm in their generosity. So, so people who aren't generous, people who are, are greedy or stingy, they, they plan how they can get more or keep more. But this verse says that generous people plan to do what's generous. They stand firm in their generosity. So when culture's screaming at us, get more, accumulate more, grasp for more, consume more, buy more, when culture says grab for power and recognition and comfort and success, a radically generous person stands firm and says give. We're gonna see here in Luke chapter six that, that when Jesus talks about generous living, when Jesus talks about money, most often he talks about it in the context of the kingdom of God. He says, when you're living in the kingdom of God, so, so, so not so much rules for here's how you spend your money, here's how you don't spend your money, but Jesus lays out, here's a new way to live. So it's not something that we occasionally do. It's generosity is something that we actually are. And so if you've got your Bibles open to Luke chapter six. Luke chapter six, starting in verse 20. And Jesus talking about this new kingdom. And he says in verse 20, he lifted his eyes up on his disciples and he said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. He says, I've come as a new king and I'm establishing a new kingdom. The kingdom of God is here. And when you think about it, when a sports team hires a new coach or, or when a, a business hires a new CEO or a department gets a new manager, everything changes. They, they bring a new way of doing things. The new leader, the new coach brings in things that they prioritize, brings in things that they value. And so things begin to change. And Jesus now, he's talking about this new kingdom, this new mission with new values, new priorities, new dynamics. And he's saying, I'm the king of this new kingdom. He describes the kingdom of God in verses 20 to 23. And then in verses 24 to 26, Jesus describes a whole other kingdom, the kingdom of the world, a, a whole other way of living. And Jesus is adjusting the way we think about life. And he's, he's flipping our world upside down as he's, hey, hey, this is what my kingdom is like. When you're a follower of mine, this is how you live in this kingdom. And so as we work our way through this series, you remind me of Jesus. We're really looking at those times where Jesus says, hey, 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 you're a part of my kingdom now. You look different now. You don't value the same things. You don't prioritize the same things. Why? Because you're living in a different kingdom for a different king. In fact, let's look at what these kingdoms look like. Let's start first before we look at following Jesus. Let's look at what the world's kingdom looks like. So if you're taking notes, our first point this morning is living in the world's kingdom. What's it look like not following Jesus? What's it look like not having Jesus as king of your life? And he, he's saying, he's, he's going to lay this out. He's going, woe to you who live this way. He says, whoa, he's saying it's a sad life. It's a life that leads to destruction. So, so what's this life look like? What's the life that Jesus would say, woe to you? What are the priorities? What are the values? You're gonna see them laid out here as I read these verses. You're, you're gonna see that, that this way of life, it, it puts its hope in wealth. It puts its value in comfort and power and recognition. Look at verse 24. But woe to you who are rich for 
You've received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, when you put your hope, when you put your purpose in wealth, if that's your foundation, if that's your priority, woe to you. He says, when, when your whole life is about being full, being fed, getting all your physical desires met, no matter what, no matter how, he says, woe to you. He says, woe to those who laugh. Now, is Jesus down on comedy? No, that's not what he's saying. The word here from the, from the Greek, it literally means to gloat. It's, it's a, an arrogance. It's saying, look at my life. Look what I've done. Look what I've accomplished. Lastly, he says in verse 26, don't put your hope in recognition or in fame. Now, Jesus isn't saying that being rich is bad. Abraham was rich. Job was rich. Joseph was rich. Luke, the one writing this book, was a physician. He's not saying being rich is bad. He's not saying that, that having people say nice things about you, that's sinful. He's, he's not saying having your needs met is a horrible thing. Remember, what he's talking about here are kingdom values. He's saying, hey, where's your hope? What do you put your trust in? What's your identity all about? Verse 24 Look what he says, woe to you are rich. What's he say? You've received your consolation. You've received your hope, your comfort, your peace. Your foundational identity and hope is the finances. So if, you're, if your hope is in, in wealth or comfort or power or fame, he's saying you're living in the world's kingdom. And listen, if your heart is set on those things, if you're, if you're building your life on those foundations, listen, they will fail you. They will disappoint you. They, they won't be able to withstand the weight of your soul. You will be hungry. You will be sad. You, you will be lonely. So if all your hope is set on these things, if your whole life is built on these things, you're going to be disappointed. So Jesus says, I'm so sorry for you. Woe to you if that's what you build your life on, if this is your kingdom. That's interesting because, because flip over to Luke 11. In Luke 11, you wonder, well, well, people who live in that kingdom, they're people who just aren't religious. They're people who just don't do the church thing. They're people who, who just don't know about God. But here he's gonna be talking to somebody who, you can see so clearly as living in that kingdom, yet he was a religious leader. Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 37. And again, Jesus is gonna be pressing in on someone's life and you're gonna notice he's gonna be talking about finances again. Now he talks a lot about money. Throughout the book of Luke, just over and over again, you see Jesus talking about our, our money, our possessions. In fact, in scripture, finances, wealth, possessions are mentioned over 2,000 times. Now why so much talk about our stuff? Why does God hammer in on that so much? Well, think about it. Think about it if you're a, a parent, especially if you're a parent of, of older kids. Think back to when you had your first child. Remember that? And your child came along and they were perfect. They were like the greatest child ever. They were the, just little angels, right? And, and you compared your child, everybody else's child. Like, man, yeah, that kid's a total loser. Not like my kid. My kid's amazing. They're perfect. They're an angel. And then around 18 months, something happens and you discover how much of a wicked little sinner your kid is, right? 
Usually it happens when? When someone comes along, maybe a fellow kid or maybe even you, and a toy is taken away. And what's the first, first words that come out of that little angel's mouth? Mine! Right? Bound up in our hearts. All of us, this, this heart we have of mine, I get it, I want it, I keep it. It's this selfishness. It's the world's kingdom that we live in. So again, Jesus talking about possessions. In verse 37, it says, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. And we've been talking, you know something, we've been talking over the last few weeks about how Jesus ate with the worst of the worst, right? Jesus would hang out with him. When you eat with someone, you're basically saying, I'm doing life with you. And, and Jesus would eat with the sinners and the tax collectors over and over again. We see that, right? So Jesus is eating with the drug dealers and the prostitutes and the tatted up bikers. Like he's eating with the, the rough of the, of the society, not, not approving of their sin, not condoning the sin, but what? Jesus says, I'm a doctor and I come to those who are sick. So Jesus loving and serving the broken, the sick, the ones who know that they're sinners. But now you've got this religious guy saying, hey, hey Jesus, you want to come to my house for dinner? Do you want want to have dinner with me at my place? And I got to tell you, I half expect when Jesus gets this invitation from a religious guy saying, hey, do you want to have dinner with me? Or I've got a religious party going on. And Jesus is like, really, a religious party? That should be fun. See you there, right? Don't you kind of expect Jesus to go, yeah, I'm not going to go to that guy's party. What's amazing, Jesus hangs out with religious people too. Yeah, they don't know that they need a savior, but Jesus knows. And so he's pursuing not just the, the outwardly broken and sinful, but those with hearts that are so far from God, but they don't know it. And Jesus goes after them too with love and grace and mercy. So he goes to the guy's house. Verse 38. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not wash. Jesus didn't first wash before dinner. You have to understand what's going on here. Pharisees, like he's a good Pharisee. Pharisees are the king of rules. They love to keep rules and make more rules. And when they don't have enough rules, they add more rules to that. Then they guard the rules they've made. So if you mess up, they can tell you how you broke the rules. And if you start doing good, they move the goalposts and create more rules. And so here's this Pharisee with these added rules. And it's not just about Jesus coming in and his hands are grubby. He just starts double dipping in the salsa. Like, what are you doing, right? That's not it, okay? It was a ceremonial washing. It's a a rule they had, the ceremonial washing. They would go through and they would do it because they would want to wash away, get this, any sinners that they'd touched. So Jesus coming in, he's not not just being a a guy who's just grubby and uncouth, but he he is kind of pushing against their little social mores. It would almost be like Jesus showing up at a fancy party wearing flip-flops. That's kind of what he's doing here. I got to think Jesus knew what he was doing. You kind of wonder if he just kind of slowly reached over for the nachos, right? Knowing. And like, oh no, oh no, Jesus, you defiled the nachos, right? He's like, defiled them, I created those. I made corn with nachos in mind because I like, and I'll have them more, right? And this guy is freaking out and, and Jesus is saying, listen, listen, I don't acknowledge your rules, all right? I, I, I wrote the book. I, I, I know the rules. I made the rules. And your little book here, your little religious thing is goofy. Don't take your book of rules and try to put them next to, next to God's word, my word. So don't, don't include them alongside mine. So Jesus is reaching, but he's not doing it to be rude. 
I would imagine this, if Jesus came to your house and, and he was coming to your house for dinner and you, you, know, you met him at the door and said, Jesus, listen, I, I know this is really weird. You don't have to do this, but I would just ask if you could. My, my spouse, I mean, like, they're just super, super germaphobic. And so, like, if you could just use this Perel on your hands and arms and face and body, that would, if you could, right, right? Jesus would use the Perel, right? Because he, he'd love you and your spouse. That's not what's going on here. Here, there's a religious guy saying, God says you need to ceremonially wash before eating. And Jesus is saying, listen, I think I know what God thinks. I'm here. And he begins to unwrap the real problem that's going on. Look at verse 39. And the Lord said to him, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup of the di and the dish, but inside you're full of greed and wickedness. He's saying you do all these ceremonies, all these religious things on the outside. Inside your heart is greedy. It says, you fools, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within you and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and the greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you're like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. You see what Jesus is saying? Do you see the, the parallel between what he said in Luke 6 and what he said here? You guys are going for all the outward things. You guys are living your life in the world's kingdom. You're all about the outside. You're all about the show. You're all about the power and the fame and being well thought of and you're missing out on what's most important. The love of God. In fact, just focusing on verse 42, he says, woe to you Pharisees, you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. And he says, these you ought to have done. He's talking about the tithing. He, he's saying, good job on the tithing part. Now, what is that? What, what's this idea of tithing? It's, it's an Old Testament rule, an Old Testament rule that would say you give a tenth of what you make. Tithe literally means tenth. And Jesus says that, you know, good job on doing that, giving a tenth of your earnings to God. Now, now you got to think about this idea of tithing with a kingdom mindset. Imagine a king says to you, here's all my land. I'm going to give you this much land. You can have it all, but whatever you grow from it is yours to, to get wealthy on, to raise your family on, but I just want 10%. That's a pretty good deal. That's low taxes, right? That's, that's God saying, so, so think about it in, in our context then. Everything we have, all of our talents, all of our abilities, our, our way of making a living, all of it's from God. And God says, it's all mine. I only ask for 10%. Now that's an Old Testament law, right? We, we live under a new covenant. And so, and so often we wrestle with, okay, what's said in the Old Testament, what, what applies to today? Uh, you know, now that Christ has, has died and, and rose again, how much was gone? How much do we still follow? And if you ever read through the Old Testament, you see some of the, the laws. Some of them sound so goofy, right? I can't eat shellfish or, or rare steak. Are you kidding me? You can't mix certain fabrics. Does that, that can't apply. And yet it's in the same context where it'll say, love your neighbors, now there's, there's too much, there's a lot that we can wrestle through. There's, there's way too little time this morning for us to wrestle that all the way down to figure that completely out this morning. But, but here's a good guideline. If Jesus grabs an Old Testament law and says, this one's good, I think that's an easy one, isn't it? 
So it's interesting that Jesus doesn't say, hey, don't worry, don't worry about tithing. Why are you doing that thing? He's saying, you guys tithe even your spices. Now, this would be a perfect place. Jesus did not hold back when talking to religious leaders. It would have been a perfect place for Jesus to say, you tithe your spices. Man, you OCD religious legalists. I tithe on my nutmeg. You're a nutmeg. What are you doing with this tithe thing? Like Jesus could have said that right there, but he didn't. He said, keep doing that. Tithing's great. Th these you ought to have done, he says. Keep living generously. Keep, keep giving away 10%. It's a great start to being generous. But now listen, the New Testament does change it a bit, all right? The New Testament says, says not just 10%, it says give all you can. So maybe 10%'s a good starting point. Now listen, for, for some, maybe that's too much. For some, that, that's a heavy burden. That's why the New Testament says give all you can. For some, 10% is a drop in the bucket. Nowhere near radical generosity. Again, not equal in size, equal in sacrifices we're called to. But Jesus then begins to turn these guys' kingdom upside down with his new kingdom. He says, listen, what you're doing, that whole tithe thing, it's just a, a religious duty you're going through. It's supposed to come from a heart change. It's supposed to come from a, a new life. The Pharisees are all about the outward, all about the outside and all about their own kingdom. And Jesus, listen, you're neglecting the justice and love of God. You're working all for your own kingdom still so that you get the best place in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. And you're forgetting the love and the justice of God. Your, your heart hasn't been changed in fact, just look over the page in Luke 12. Jesus tells of another person he calls a fool. Verse 13, he tells a story, sorry, verse 16, tells a story of a rich guy who was laying in his bed, dreaming of all he had and his crops were growing and he was thinking to himself as he laid in bed, man, I have so much stuff, I'm gonna build bigger barns to store more of it so I have more to myself to enjoy. I need a bigger house. I need a better car. I need another storage shed. I, I need a new boat. I need nicer clothes. I, I need a, a better vacation. I need, I need a, a, a deeper retirement plan. I, I need, because everything in the barn is for me. Look at verse 20 of chapter 12. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you are prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. He says, you fool. And Jesus had just called the Pharisee a, a fool. Now you read in Matthew where Jesus says, don't call anybody a fool, apparently unless they're actually a fool because he uses it twice here. A strong word used. Why is he saying this? Why would Jesus say woe to you? Listen, God's not angry at this guy. He's not angry at him because he was blessed. He's angry at him for what he did with the blessing. God's the one that blessed this rich guy. But he thought all the blessings were for him to enjoy. Like the Pharisee in chapter 11, he neglected the justice and the love of God. 
So how do we know then? How, how do I know if I'm living generously? If I'm, am I giving? Am I spending? How do I know if I'm in the world's kingdom or in the kingdom of Christ? How, how do I know if I'm kingdom-minded in my generosity? Well, here's a few ways you would know. 10% wouldn't seem like a lot. If you're living in, in God's kingdom, if you're following Christ, 10%, you'd be like, that's it, Lord. That's all. I could give more. You know you're in Christ's kingdom when you have a, a joy about giving. Where it's not just a religious practice, it's not something you have to do, but there's a, a joy that you get to be involved, that God would use you, whether giving finances or time or effort or skill, that God's using your resources to be a joy in it. It would be more than religion you, because you, you'd be involved and invested. If it's Christ's kingdom that you're living out of, you'd want to be invested in it. You'd be praying about it. You'd be working in it. You'd be interested in and invested in it. I think another way we know if we're living with a kingdom mind with our generosity is that our money is used for more than just ourselves. In fact, flip back to Luke 6. Our second point this morning is living in Jesus' kingdom. What's it look like to live in Jesus' kingdom? If that's the world's kingdom and, and Jesus has, is flipping our idea of, of what the good life is, he's flipping it on its head. He says in verse 20, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. That's his name for himself, on account of Jesus Verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. And what's Jesus doing here? He's flipping the idea upside down. You can see the opposites of the two kingdoms, of the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the world. And he's saying, listen, a way you can tell the difference between someone following Jesus, someone changed by Jesus, someone who's in his kingdom, is that a Christian, a Christ follower, is not so tied to power and comfort and success that if they lose them, their life is over. I mean, one of the ways you can tell if you're living out kingdom values is, is how you deal with grief, how you deal with, with financial loss or loss of reputation. When, when you're in the world's kingdom and that's your comfort, that's your reward, that's your identity. So when you lose that comfort, when you lose the power, when you lose the finances, when you lose the recognition, you're actually left with nothing if you're in the kingdom of the world. If you're a Christ follower and your feet are planted firmly in the gospel, when your feet are planted firmly in the truth of who you are, your identity is that I'm a, I'm a child of God, accepted, forgiven, redeemed. When that's your identity, when that's the, your meaning in life, you stand firm. If, if you lose your wealth, your life isn't about your wealth. But if your life is all about that, if you lose your wealth, then there's nothing left of you. If, if as a, a parent, if your life is fully all about your kids and who you are as a mom or a dad, when you're, something happens to your kids, your kids go wrong, what happens? There's nothing left of you. You don't have another identity. There is no future. So, so life in the new kingdom, it's standing on a foundation that can't be taken away. Jesus says in verse 23, there's something better. 
It says, rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. So a Christ follower can say, man, I've lost Whatever it is, and it's not easy. It's not like you're jumping for joy at losing something, at losing health or, or losing finances or losing reputation. But listen, it's not your identity. It's not your eternity. And now you put your hope, you stand firm in the gospel that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life you couldn't live, died the death in your place, taking your sin and shame and brokenness and giving you new life as you surrender your life to him and you're made new. And this new life, because of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, it changes everything. In fact, Paul, the apostle Paul, when he was writing a letter to the church in Corinth and in 2 Corinthians chapter eight, and he's talking about radical generosity, he's talking about giving, he says, listen, you don't give out of compulsion. It's not out of a command. Paul says, I'm not gonna command you to do it. He said, but you're going to give because you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who though he was rich, yet for our sake became poor, so that through you, his poverty, you might become rich. And Paul's saying, listen, I don't have to give a command to give. You don't need to be commanded when you understand the relationship you're in with Christ. It's like this. No one has to command for me to kiss my wife. You don't need to give me a rule Kai, you must, when you go home, kiss your wife. Listen, because I love Libby, because I'm in love with her, I'm just gonna kiss her, right? That's gonna happen naturally, right? Paul's saying it's the same with giving. When you understand your relationship with Christ, I mean, if you, if you think tithing is ridiculous, man, that's way too much to give, but, but you say you understand the gospel, Paul's saying you actually don't understand the gospel. until we think about the extravagance that, that Christ displayed for what he did for us on the cross, we won't be extravagant in our generosity. Listen, Jesus is calling us to a whole new kingdom, a kingdom where our, our hope isn't in our stuff, where we're not, we're not overwhelmed with workaholism and worry. We're not, we're not defined by, by the superficiality of fame and wealth. We're not owned by greed and power and comfort. If your hope and your identity is in Christ and in eternity with him, then you're free to risk. You're free to stand up against injustice, even if it costs you. You're, you're free to be radically generous. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're in my kingdom... If you're my kingdom, you're not just going to be generous. You're going to be irrationally, radically generous. Look at verse 27 of chapter 6. He says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. From the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. That sounds ridiculous. It sounded just as crazy back then as it does now. It was shocking. And Jesus is saying, listen, listen, one of the ways you know you're living out the kingdom life, the one of the ways you know you're following after Christ is you're so free from needing all those things. And so Jesus says, my disciples are going to look radically generous. It's going it's to shock the people who are looking in. So my, my question is this, do people look in on how you spend and do they say, man, what's different about you? 
Do they look at, at how you spend and say, man, you remind me of Jesus? What does radical generosity look like? Well, maybe here's a practical guide. As Jesus talks about our stuff, if, if you have an accountant who's not a follower of Christ, your accountant should think that the way, the amount you give is nut bar. Because here's the reality. It's our last point this morning is this. A life changed by Jesus produces radical generosity. A life changed by Jesus produces radical generosity. Flip, flip to Luke 19. Still in Luke, just a few pages over. Luke 19. You're gonna see a guy's life radically changed by Jesus and the, the immediate response is, is this unbelievable, irrational generosity. So here's the story. Jesus, he's visiting Jericho and there's this guy named Zacchaeus. Now it says that Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector of Jericho. Okay, so not just a tax collector, he's the chief tax collector. So he was very wealthy, okay? He's, he's the one in charge of all the other tax collectors. He's like the Bernie Madoff of this, of this Ponzi scheme called tax collecting in Roman times, all right? But it also says here that not only was he wealthy, he was also very short. Okay, so when I, when I, when I think Zacchaeus, so get the picture in your mind of who Zacchaeus is, I picture Danny DeVito, all right? That's, that's kind of where I go with it. So when you're thinking, if the movie's made, that's who Zacchaeus would be, all right? So here's this Danny DeVito guy. What's going on in his life? Verse three says, Danny DeVito was seeking to see who Jesus was, all right? But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he's about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him. He says this, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. The people looking in, right? Remember who Zacchaeus was. He was a bad dude, ripping them off. He was the worst of the worst. It says he's gone to be with, he's gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anyone, anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Now you need to notice the order here of what happens. Jesus enters into Zacchaeus' life. Jesus comes into Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus is transformed. He calls him Lord and then responds with radical generosity. I mean, this is so upside down of how the world would see religion, how the world would see you would, you would make your way to God. Religion would have Jesus come to the bottom of that sycamore tree, look up at Zacchaeus and go, hey, Zach, stop being so greedy. And if you, if you do that for a while, maybe, maybe then I'll, I'll come to your house. That's not what happens. Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming into your life. And, and that's what brings about the change. Listen, this whole series on living like Jesus, it's not a call to religion. Religion says, live in these ways so you'll be accepted by God. Jesus says, come as you are. Come broken. And I'll change you. And when we come to Christ, broken, saying, I, I'm lost. 
I've put my hope in the wrong things. I've, I've put my, my identity and my faith and my hope in things that can't hold up my heart. I've, I've looked for hope in my stuff. I've looked for it in people. I've, I've looked for it in comfort. I've looked for it in my family. I've, I've, I've sought it in power and fame and success. I've, I've run after sin to find it. I've run after religion to find it. But it, I, I can't, it's dead. I'm dead. I need you, Jesus. I know you're the source of life. And so Zacchaeus responds to this call of Christ. He's changed. And now, do you catch it right away? The money is no longer his identity. It's not his worth anymore. It's not something he was trying to gather more and more of. Now he's thinking, man, how can I use this for God's kingdom? I mean, look, he, he steps way, way past the, the line of a tithe. All right, he goes straight to 50%. I'm giving half of my stuff away. And then his repentance, it even includes restoration. He says, listen, anyone I've cheated, I'm sure he's cheated a lot of people. He said, anyone that I've cheated or extorted money from, I'm gonna repay them fourfold, four times as much as I took. I mean, you see what's going on here? Zacchaeus is changed. Can, can you see the joy that'd be happening in this house? It's not religion to Zacchaeus. It's, it's, he's, he's radically changed. He, he's not saying, Jesus, okay, I'll follow you, but how much do I have to give? 10%? Like, is that, is that it? I mean, I remember you talking to that, that, that rich young ruler. You told me he had to give 100%. How about 50? Is 50 good? No, Zacchaeus isn't doing that. The gospel's gripped his mind and his heart, and he's not asking, how much do I have to give? He's saying, how much can I give? Zacchaeus, listen, Zacchaeus climbed up a tree because nobody would ever expect him to be able to see Jesus. Nobody would give him room to see Jesus. He, he deserved to be up in that tree. Why? Because he was a liar and a cheat. His life was a train wreck of greed, but Jesus steps up to the base of that tree and out of pure grace, he says, Zacchaeus, come on down out of the tree. Come on out of your isolation. Come on out of your rejection. Come on down and receive my love and my grace. How does that happen? How does Zacchaeus get to leave all of his sin and isolation and come down out of the tree? It's because Jesus went up onto a tree. It's because Jesus was nailed on the tree. On the cross, Christ was the one who was despised and rejected. Jesus took on the shame. Jesus took our punishment for our sins so we didn't have to any longer. We didn't have to go up onto the tree. And listen, when you see that, when you begin to see that you are set free by the cross of Jesus Christ, it's gonna change our attitudes towards the stuff we have. When we start to see this, listen, Jesus didn't just tithe for us. Jesus gave everything for us. He had all the heavenly riches and he made himself poor that, that by his poverty we might become rich. Zacchaeus sees this. Zacchaeus responds to this. Zacchaeus gets a new heart from Christ and he's left now the kingdom of the world, the kingdom that told me your hope and your peace and your identity and your purpose is in the job you have, in the wealth you have, in the people you know, in success and recognition. And he left that behind and entered into the kingdom of God. So he didn't need money anymore for his self-esteem. 
Now money became a way for him to show love to others. So, so this morning for us, what does your spending look like? Would someone look in at, at how you live and how you give and would they say, you, you remind me of Jesus? Again, Isaiah 32, 8 says, those who are generous plan to be generous. I gotta tell you, I'm really great at planning on how to spend. Right? Maybe you're like me. I can look at my budget and I can plan out really well things that I want to get. I can plan out things that I want to buy. Okay, all right, we gotta do something in the house. Let's, let's budget and plan for it so we can get it. I, I, I need a new car. I gotta budget and plan. I need better clothes. I gotta budget and plan. Man, new technology coming. Let me budget, man. Okay, I can know by this time I'll have enough money saved up that I can, right, I can plan to spend so well on stuff, on, on, on future stuff that doesn't even matter. And most of us can plan to spend. We can plan to consume. But how often do we plan to be generous? In God's kingdom, we're not called to be spiritual consumers. We're called to be spiritual contributors. Because listen, the church doesn't exist for us. Listen, we are the church. We exist for the world. So instead of just planning on how to make a purchase, what if as Jesus followers, we plan to make a bigger difference in the world by giving? I want to be clear. Yeah, I'm asking us as a church, what would it look like for us to be more generous, to be radically generous? And, and how can I say that with boldness from here? How can I just stand up and say, man, we got we to gotta be more generous because I believe what Jesus said when he said, it's better to give than to receive. So maybe this week, maybe this week you need to sit down as a, as a student, you sit down or as a, as a new married couple or as a single parent, or as a single person or, or as a family and, and you sit down and go, okay, Lord, you pray together. God, how would you want us to be generous this week, this month, this year? God, what would it look like for us to plan to be generous? To give your resources, to give your time, to to give yourself to the work of Christ. I, I gotta tell you, I, I love giving these kind of sermons. Why? Because I believe what Jesus says. I believe there's joy in it. I believe there's a better way to live. His kingdom is better. But I love it too because, listen, it's a way to, to grow a culture in our church, a culture of generosity. Let me be encouraging here. You guys have that culture already. Let's grow it. I love it. I was just, it was a while ago, I went to this seminar on how to do uh, financial campaigns where you raise money and how to create a campaign to raise money. And, and before the seminar started, the guy asked, hey, has your church ever raised money before? I said, yeah, we've raised money before. He goes, well, have you raised uh, like big sums of money? He said, well, there was a time we had to raise about $400,000 for a piece of property for a, a church that we're looking to, to build in our town. And he goes, okay, well, how did you do it? What, what did your campaign look like? And I went, uh... I kind of just got up and said, we need $400,000 and we think God's calling us to it. Pray and fast. And in four weeks, we had $400,000, right? And he said, you probably don't need this seminar. And I'm like, totally, right? <laughs> I remember the morning I got up in front of you, uh, this has been years ago when we were partnered with the church in Nicaragua and I said that Pastor Jared was about to lose the property that he was building the church building on, that it was about to be lost, the government was gonna take it away if he didn't finish the final purchase and we needed $15,000 and in first service, I remember standing up giving this announcement and second service didn't even have an opportunity to give because by first service, 15,000 was raised. Just this week, somebody phoned our church offices 
somebody from, for, for doesn't even live in Ontario, but they have a, a relative that does that's in our church and they called to say, man, my, my, my relative has been in, in such a tough time and I can't believe what your church is doing. I can't believe how that, that, the small group has been rallying around them and, and financially and caring and, and sacrificing and giving. And, and she says on the phone, she says, she says, man, what kind of church is it? I've never seen a church like that. Listen, that's our church. That's the culture of what we want to be. That's the culture we want to continue to grow. So listen, I don't want you to think that I'm standing up here saying, oh great, another pastor saying, give me more money. But I want you to prayerfully ask this question. What should my attitude towards money be in light of the gospel? In light of what Christ has done for me, what he's given for me, what should my attitude towards my stuff, my time, my resources, my finances be? It's, it's a life-changing question. It, it had me uh, literally on my knees this week and, and I, I'm reading through all these passages in Luke where, where Jesus is calling us to this radical, irrational generosity. I'm like going, I can't get my head around what Jesus is, is fully saying, but I did know this. I thought, man, I need to do more, give more than I am right now. So as the worst team comes up this morning, as we end off this morning, my question is this. What kingdom are you living in? If you don't know Christ, if you've never responded, if, if you're still up in the tree and you've never embraced him into your life, then you're in the kingdom of the world right now and Jesus says woe to you. So I hope you don't hear from me this morning, hey, the way to the kingdom is you just need to give more, you need to be more generous. No, if you don't know Jesus, the way to the, kin to the kingdom is by humbly laying yourself at Christ's feet and saying, I wanna follow you. It's repenting. It's turning from putting your hope in everything else and putting your hope fully in Christ. That's the starting point. But if you are a Christ follower, what kingdom are you living in? Where's your hope? Where's your identity? What's your purpose and value? The scripture says this, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. What could God do when a church rises up and says, because of what Christ did, this is who we are now? Would you stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I pray today that you would, you would light a fire in our hearts, that you would draw our hearts to, to share your love, the gospel throughout the world. That you would show us what, what your kingdom priorities are, what your kingdom values are, where our hope is, where our values are, what, what, a new understanding even today of our identity, of our reward of our eternity, of our hope. And God, that you would move us beyond what we think is possible. God, give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. God, that we would see afresh even this morning the truth of the gospel. 
That when, when we see the cross, when we see you, Lord Jesus, when we see what you've given for us, that you didn't just tithe, you gave everything for us. And when we see the cross, that everything else would pale in comparison, that, that all the stuff the world says is so great would pale, Lord, that, that we would move off of those things that we put our hope and we would stand firmly on the gospel. that we would know that we're forgiven, we're redeemed, we're accepted, that we have a hope that is sure. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.